When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and out tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook. Breaks it in! With your host, Callius Anderson, stopped it down behind his head. Seku Smith, the tipping is good at the buzzer. And Vince Thomas. Slices across the lane, puts up a hook on the right. No, but a dynamite stick back slam. Now it's time for the tip up. Front row, Vince. What's happening? The Hang Time Podcast, back in the studio. Good to have you back, man. Batman and Robin back together again. It's, it's like old times around here, Clint. You Robin. Whatever you say, <laughs> little fella. Listen, Clint, Clint Hawkins is in there, master of the controls. Big C, technician extraordinaire. You know, Micah Hart, our super producer back there behind Big the Mike, glass. Tori the intern joining us, making this a you know full-fledged family affair. So, Micah, so what happened at, on the season finale of Treme? Spoiler <laughs> <laughs> alert. Can't hear him. Spoiler alert. Not going to go there. Listen. Yo. Before we even get into the draft and free agency, mm-hmm. which, you know, everybody knows is coming at us like, you know, basically like an avalanche, we'd be remiss if we didn't spend a few minutes reliving and enjoying Ron Artest. I mean, the NBA Finals. <laughs> and, and what a fantastic, epic series it was, this showdown of rivals. Not the greatest basketball every game, I'll admit that. Mm-hmm. But, but hard-pressed to match it for... Drama, intrigue, star power, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, the only thing it didn't have was both teams playing their very best basketball five, you know, five or six out of seven times. No, I mean, I don't think we saw either team's best basketball at all throughout throughout the series, but it, that, that didn't um, produce a series without something compelling. Or drama, and see, and here's the thing. Now, if the same kind, if we had the same kind of play with, say, an Orlando versus Utah series or an right. Orlando versus Phoenix series, we'd have been like, this series is garbage. Yes, but because it was the two most story franchises, you no know, question. in the history of the league, because we had so much star power on the on the um, court and on the bench and in the stands, and the stands. you know, you know that, yes, you sir. know. Um, and not and it's not just star power. It's it was players and coaches that were going after grander things, legacies. You right. know, not it's not just you know teams or players establishing reps. These are players that were building on legacies. Kobe, KG, Phil Jackson, Derek Fisher, right? The big, um, the Doc big Rivers, three. Doc Rivers, Ray all Allen. Of. You know, and, and, and uh, so I, I'm wondering, did anybody really alter their legacy to you? No, I, you know, if anything, I think Pau Gasol probably solidified himself. You know, he when began you, a legacy. Yeah, when you mm-hmm. go back through the annals 20 years, 30 years from now, and you say, well, who are the best international big men, you know, or who are the best international players to play in the NBA? Three years ago, his name wasn't on the list with right. Sabonis and Kukoc and Dirk mm-hmm. and these people. Now he's got something none of those guys have except for Kukoc. And that's and that's multiple championships. If I were to if I were to say at the beginning of next season that Pau Gasol is the best big man in the league, you gonna argue with me? Uh, I I won't give you that free and clear only because, and and we got into this debate a lot of people throughout the the playoffs, you know, about Mm -hmm. him being. I would argue that he's the most skilled offensive big man in the NBA. And I'll and I'll anybody that wants to argue that I will give him that. But for sheer impact, you know, because he played really well in the in the four games the Lakers won. In in the three games they lost, 
That's his case for MVP right there, too. Right. They, that when he played sure. well, they won. You when know? he played well, they won. Mm-hmm. But in the three games they lost, he was Memphis Grizzlies' powder self. <laughs> serious? No, seriously. Or bad Memphis Grizzlies. Cause he, yeah. some, I mean, he, he, he was, was like tenderfoot Pau Gasol, where he, you could just do what you wanted with him. You know. And I'm not talking about Kendrick Perkins and Garnett. I'm talking about big baby scoring over him, knocking mm-hmm. him down, manhandling him. You know. And that, you know what? He maybe never sheds that part of his game. Maybe that's always a part of his game. But Gasol is not even the guy that comes out of this series to me, look, you know, and you look at him in a new light. It's, it's Ron Artest. Shout out to Ron Artest, man. Like, give him his, give him his respect but, now. But hold on a second. But not just uh, – this is, t- to me, and of course I'm a Lakers fan, um, so I'm, I might be a little biased. But a little. It, it, it's not just his play that has changed our perception of him. I think it's his personality. I think if you were if you were a hoops head, you knew come with him coming into to his tenure with the Lakers that he was a good player. Um you know, smarter solid than you might think. Exactly. Solid player, good to, and, and and often an impactful player. But I think what um America at large the the perception that they had of him was still very much colored by what happened in Detroit. Sure. Okay? And I think that he shows such a lovable side, such um a lighthearted side, such um, yeah, seriously. Go ahead, such, use the word. I mean, you're getting to it. I know where you get. I know where you're going. So go ahead and say I, it. I don't know what you, I don't know what, what what word am I trying to say? Such I, a hilariously crazy side. I mean, no, but a good no. crazy. Okay, right. Okay, but not the not the sinister crazy. No, a good, no. fun loving, lighthearted, hilarious, crazy side. And, like and see for people like and you, you can get people can dig that. And, and but for people like you and I who cover the league and have had conversations with him before and have been around him before, we knew he wasn't like some out of control, no. you know, uh, back crap crazy thug. <laughs> but I think now every you should have seen him at the at the Lakers parade today. They got on. I he's saw. the MC, you know, I saw the, with the hat and uh, yeah. Whole yeah. He was like the MC of the whole parade. I think that he has now set himself. He's a star actually now. To tell you the truth. Yeah, I think was, I think Ron Artest is a straight up and down star. Well, I think now. I think Ron Artest, and I mean, granted, I was I covered the Pacers um, when he was there, and I was at the brawl. Did you have a good relationship with him? I had a great relationship with him. He mm-hmm. was he was great to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, he was largely misunderstood as he was everywhere else he's been, and as he is probably now by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. The the one thing about him that I that I really loved, and it's kind of the redeeming factor of this, these finals for me, is that. He's the quintessential American comeback story. When when he got suspended for those 73 games, uh-huh. most people who knew anything about him, that was the first they'd really heard of him, the general public, because that made CNN, that made the yeah, worldwide news. national news. So, worldwide the, news so a lot of people, that's the uh-huh. first you ever heard of Ron Artest. Right. Well, who loves a, a, a comeback story like we do uh-huh. in the media and in, in this country and, and in society? He had the ultimate comeback. He went from being the scourge of a league in November of 2004. Talk about me with the SAT words, but go ahead. <laughs> to now, I mean, he was the poster child for everything. Remember? For everything that was wrong everything. with the NBA. He was, this, you know, this, this lunatic, blah, blah. Game seven, when Kobe and Powell and everybody else on the Lakers is melting down, Phil, everybody in the first half of that game, who is this beacon of calm in this storm, and it's Ron Artest. I'm telling you, it was almost hilarious to me watching it. Like, say how well he played, how 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 I don't steady think, his hand was in that in I, that situation. I don't think that's his comeback. I I don't think that his comeback has anything to do with what he did on the floor. I think his comeback had to do with he was now on a stage where um, ca- casual fans had a chance to get to know him, and they saw. I'm just going to go ahead and call the real Artest. I mean, he's a complex guy, so he has different sides. You know, there's there's a, there's another side, but sure. they saw they saw the bulk of who Ron Artest was, and I think the casual fan, you know, saw his interviews, you know, saw the way he em- em- embraced the team, saw the almost reverence that he showed Kobe Bryant. He started a Kobe Bryant chant at the at the the parade today. <laughs> yeah, like he's like the the he started illest the Boston, you know what's chant at the right. parade too. I think Ron Artest is like the illest hype man. Like he's like flavor he's a he's a flavor oh, flavor of the NBA oh, right now. No. And to me that's a good thing. Cuz I, I rock I with think, I rock with PE Flav. Well listen, I think more than all of the things that have happened since then which have been great for Ron Artest's image. I think people that matter in the game of basketball watch game 7. Mm-hmm. And they have a newfound respect for him. For him as a like player, around the league, I guarantee you, 
his persona changed in that 48 minutes mm. to 29 other teams that matter. Like, really? Doc Rivers and everybody else. Like, if you notice after the game, nobody would have gone into game seven. And Clint, Michael, Torrey, somebody throw a glass at this window if I'm wrong. Nobody would have gone into game seven and said, Ron Artest will be the guy that upholds this thing for the Lakers. Nobody would have picked him. Think about it. Game seven, all the marbles, everything on the line. You could have picked ten different Lakers, and you probably wouldn't have said Ron Artest. Well, you and you sh- and you shouldn't have. And you know. this is and this is where this is where I'm coming from. You should. And if if we played that game seven nine more times, <laughs> Ron Artest might have performed like that once or twice out of the ten times. So that's not a. I don't really think that that's a performance you can necessarily hang your hat on. That was an aberration. Ah, so if people, so maybe. If, so if people, maybe not. I think it is, and I think if that's what people are focusing their newfound um, image and perception and likes or dislike of Ron Artest on, then I think that's kind of flimsy. I think that if you look at, if, if you thought that he was a villain or you thought that he was a bad guy, you know, you thought that he was a criminal, you thought that he was a thug, but now you got a chance to see him with the most popular basketball team in the world, you know, going through from, from April to May on a very grand stage and in Christmas Day games, you know, all the big games that the Lakers, the Lakers are just a very visible team. And now you've gotten a chance to see a little more Ron, hear a little more Ron. I I, I just think that a lot of people ha- have come away from this thinking, you know what, I like that guy. And you don't, and you, he could, he could have played terrible in game seven and let's say the Lakers won and they still would have came away saying, you know what, I like that guy just based on his post game interview. Well, I he, thought that was classic. He wouldn't have given. He wouldn't have been at the podium if he hadn't played as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything that's happened since then was triggered on the 20 points, five steals, and five rebounds he got in Game Seven. But his, yo, but his not everybody but his shows per- up to the podium. But his perception, his no, no, perception no, 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 no. was changing before no, then, yo. I, listen, I think if you believe that you think you must be thinking about like our peer, like our our no, colleagues. no, 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 no. I'm, not, listen, casual bitch. fans don't care that he scored 25 and five. They don't. They if for if for them to like him, it's about his personality. It's no. not about it's Listen, not about what I'm he did in you, Game Seven. He would have never been on that stage if he hadn't played well in Game Seven. Do you understand what I mean? But he was on that stage Every, throughout. He was no, on he that wasn't. stage throughout the no, throughout wasn't. the, the no, playoffs. Uh, when I say stage, I mean it in f- a, I mean it in a metaphor. I mean the the stage. The of stage. The NBA yeah, I know what you're saying. But I'm telling playoffs. you that that podium after Game Seven of the NBA Finals with all those millions of people watching, there's a difference between what you say in the locker room every night after mm-hmm. those games and mm-hmm. what you say in that interview room because that's what's making all the highlight shows. You understand what I'm saying? He needed game seven. Like, he didn't just need for the Lakers to win a championship. He needed to play well in that game for all of this to get triggered. Hmm. Because, I don't know. I, because just, I, mean, had, I just disagree. I don't know if you watched the, how hard you watched these finals, but and I know you, I know you paid close attention to him. But his his play throughout the finals was was up and down. It wasn't a absolutely. It wasn't a steady climb where he played great. Paul Pierce ate him alive. Well, let, let's in, in, in game five. Let, let's 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 you pose know. the let's pose the question to the to the listeners. You know, tweet us at at Hang Time Podcast or you know at Vince C A Thomas or Sekou Smith NBA wherever. Let, what do you what do you when what do you think is the the reason for Ron Artest change in perception. Was it already happening before Game Seven, or did Ron Artest need that twenty-five and five for you guys to like him, or you guys to think that you know what, I rock with? And, I, and I'm gonna give you another example of why that one specific game was so important. Think of, and think about what I'm telling you here. If the Lakers don't win Game Seven, you know what we're talking about today and for the next however long we talk about the until free agency, until we just completely flip the script and talk LeBron every day. I, Kobe, I Kobe Bryant I melting down okay. in game seven. That would have been all anybody talked about had they lost that game. Mm-hmm. How horrible Kobe played on the big stage. Mm-hmm. Michael never did, you know. Mm-hmm. MJ never played like this. He never bombed out like this, mm-hmm. you know, in a game that mattered. That, get, that 48 minutes set up everything else that's come after is all I'm telling you. Without that big game, without that performance, we don't see the, uh, the I just think, jubilant, jo- jovial Ron Artest but no, I mean, showing off his personality. No, the way no, because he, he was see that because he was he's been doing it because he'd have been in the locker room answering questions no, about he's been, like what, say cool, how did been, you melt down in the big game? What happened? He's been doing it through, throughout this season. I mean, he's been on Jimmy Kimmel like twice, you know, throughout this season. Um, you gotta he, have the you gotta have the championship to go with that, Vince. Right, 
what I'm what I'm and, I, and we're just going around in circles because we just don't agree and we're not going to agree on this. But what all I'm my my point is that my point is that I think that his change in perception amongst the American public is more personality based than um, production based or gameplay based. And if he did, even if he didn't have that game seven, I think that he still won over a lot of people over this past. When did he? You know, I guess it's been about ten months. You know. Can we just agree that uh, the two titles validates Adam Morrison's legacy? <laughs> <laughs> Micah, you, you know what? You're an evil person for even sticking Adam Morrison like that because I was, I was going to leave he and Sheldon Williams alone, the two highest lottery picks in the history of the NBA Finals to do so little for their teams. I, no, I mean, and, I'm, and I didn't want to make fun of them, but we looked it up See, during got- the Finals, and that's, a, that's an actual stat. Call Elias, the two highest lottery picks in the history of the NBA Finals – to not gotta, cut dust. I mean, they did nothing. You got to steer clear, Sheldon Williams, because I get they in did trouble. zero. Because I'll go in, on Sheldon Williams. <laughs> I really will. Yo, like, okay, like, you brought you brought up Cole, and you you, you know, listen, you, the three of us, you, myself, and Scoop, we had what? Well, yeah, me we and to, me and Scoop. Uh, yeah, you and Scoop <laughs> did most of the yapping. So I, now here's your chance. I so just listen. T- tell me about tell me about the Game Seven performance. Like, as soon when the buzzer sounded, and like all the stuff about the series, and but particularly that game started going through your head. What's the what's your Kobe? I, same thing I said during the game. I was like, if somebody doesn't rescue this man, he's getting ready to take his legacy and drop kick it across the floor. He needed rescuing that night. I said he was and, playing like Ruben And Patterson. he wanted it. I saw, <laughs> I saw that. He wanted it. I understand what he was doing. Yeah. He had to have that moment. Like, he needed to beat the Celtics. He needed to get five. He needed to be able to stick it in Shaq's face. He needed to be able to, you know, he needed all that. But in, in true – Kobe destructive yep. mode. He yep. could not figure out how do I get this without completely burning everybody else out here in yellow. Desperate Kobe. Yeah, it was it was now, sad let, to watch. Let to me be ask you. Let you. me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Do you think that because we saw desperate Kobe uh, in Game Seven and you know throughout the series, and then and, and then we saw it um, in two thousand and eight. Do you think that we were seeing that that desperate Kobe? Because of his competition, and like for instance, do no. you think that if Boston would have this Boston team as presently constituted, and then the one in two thousand eight, if they would have been playing, you know, the nineteen ninety seven or nineteen ninety eight Chicago Bulls, that we would have saw a desperate MJ? No, um, it's strictly I, a Kobe no. issue. Yeah, but I will say this: I think that Boston team is the best team to lose in NBA Finals, probably since those Pistons in in oh five that lost to the Spurs, like. It's very rare you have an mm-hmm. NBA Finals where both teams are so evenly matched. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times you get the NBA Finals and it's the Lakers against the Nets. Mm-hmm. Or it's, you know, San Antonio against the Nets. And I don't mm-hmm. want to pick on the Nets, but <laughs> they're the Nets. I wish they would have both been healthy. But, I mean, you know, if if you're talking about a toe-to-toe mat- matchup, that's that's where you go. Like you look and go, when when's the last time an NBA champion had to beat a team this good to win a title? And it's been a while. And that's why and that's why we had so much fun watching a finals that didn't have transcendent play. And that's why we were so entertained by by a finals without transcendent play because we we knew, especially us ba- basketball heads, we knew we were watching two teams that were both really good evenly matched and both teams were saying I'm not I'm not good you know they were taking turns saying I'm not going to let you beat me and right. when that team would say I'm not going to let you beat me right they would they would make life difficult for you that's, you know that's what, what you saying? do I mean that's what great teams yeah. do when they get to the finals yeah absolutely um, and I and listen we appreciate you speaking for the American public because I really I really do I, I you know maybe being at the games and being there with you know with everybody else maybe that colors my opinion of how things went down um, so I, I'll be interested to see what people think I'm, about, I'm about the Artest issue and some, you know, and Kobe's legacy and that sort of thing. Make sure you uh, – We, we could have talked 45 minutes about sure, Kobe's legacy. Sure. You Make sure you mean? hit us up at, uh, at the Hangtime, Hangtime Podcast. Podcast on Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, Just hit us and, up there. And let us know what you – you know, your thoughts. Um, but listen, we talked finals. Right. Let, let's, let's move ahead now. Thursday night is a big night, you know, uh, in the NBA. Probably as big a night other than lottery night. In, in the, the clinching game of the finals in terms of the summer and what you're looking forward to, you know, for the future of the league. Right. Um, we got Ryan Blake, the NBA's director of scouting, yes. uh, joining us on the Hangtime Podcast because we got to get up to speed on these 
on these rookies. We've been so knee deep in in the uh, in the finals. We got to get up to speed on these guys who are going to be rookies this year in in the league. Ryan, how you doing? Doing good, man. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Doing well, uh, Ryan. What's up, buddy? And, and we're trying to figure out every year this time we hear the so-called experts, and I'm not including you in that bunch, but every year this time the the experts about the draft always tell us, well, it's this person and that person and a bunch of whoever's. Right, I mean, right. Where, where does this group stand just in terms of, of, you know, just raw talent when you look at it from a scouting perspective? Uh, compared maybe to the last couple of drafts? Well, this draft is, first off, it's going to be exciting because after the first two picks, uh, I mean, it's going to be so hard for the GMs. I mean, they're going to have to have their branches out and know, figure out who's going where because we don't really know who's going to go uh, after the third pick. And uh, it's, it's the, using the cliche, beauty in the eye of the beholder, we've got a deep draft, one of the deepest in many years, uh, we're going to have guys that are probably going to be undrafted that will make teams sort of similar to what Wes Matthews did last year when undrafted and, and started with the, with the Jazz. Um, a lot of upside, a lot of bigs, a lot of people in the post, uh, and not a lot of point guards. Ryan, I want to rewind for a second and just sort of give the, the listeners, an I, for those that don't know, just an idea of who you are, you know, your background, your pedigree. You're the son of, um, you know, Ven- the, the venerable uh, Marty Blake. And um, just, like, give us give us an idea of what it was like growing up in a, in a scout's household and then how you got into the business and, you know. What, well, what you know, I was listening to you, and you said you're a basketball head, and I grew up as just a, a basketball nut. You know, I had that love and limerence for the sport, and uh, I was always shooting baskets since I was three. Uh, I was off uh, ball boying uh, while he, my pops was traveling the ABA uh, streets, you know, and you know I was ball boying for Dr. J and Billy Cunningham, so I loved it, you know, and I and I, and I got to, to stick in it for through all my playing days, and I ended up playing professional tennis, uh, but we we went overseas when I was playing overseas. Uh, I, I would just go to basketball games because I'm, you know, I'm a junkie and, and I'm still working for pops. I'm like, you know, w- w- these guys are pretty good. We got to get more and more of these guys, more information out to our teams. Uh, these guys are a lot better. So in the '90s, we sort of revamped our program uh, with the international scene, and um, you know, and got got a lot of this information and and, and stuff out to our teams. And, and kudos to the teams for, you know, they were the ones that had to really, you know flip the switch on this and and you know so we continue that and for us what we do is we we tell the teams who to go see who not to go see we provide them a bunch of information we scout uh we wear a lot of different hats and uh, the best thing about it is we get to watch basketball yeah uh, you must have like uh some ridiculous amounts of frequent flyer miles uh <laughs> accumulated frequent, frequent flyer mileage is good yeah it, <laughs> it is but uh you know it's it's a lot it's a lot of work but it's again you know it's, it's flipping basketball yeah <laughs> ryan answer answer this for me and the listeners because i think this is something that gets mixed up year after year how long does it take for there to be kind of a consensus about who the top one or two picks are in terms of you know, do you know, I mean, when it's LeBron James, do you know in the, the 11th grade year, even when he's in high school, like, well, if things go according to plan, this is kind of the guy that will be the number one pick? Or do you get a guy like Wall or Evan Turner, who for a lot of people two years ago, you might not have heard of either one of these guys, and now here they right. are at the top of the draft? Yeah, you, you don't know. I mean, I get calls in November, and people ask me, okay, well, how good is this player? Where is he going in the draft? And I always go, well, who's coming out? We still have a full season. I mean, you, the thing that, that a lot of people don't realize is that players keep developing. Uh, we've got guys like LeBron, uh, you know, he had all this, all this upside growing up, and he's playing well, and you still have to put in your sort of your ratios and denominators and this guessability on how this guy is going to transfer 
his ability to the next level, and you never know because it comes down to mental ability, uh, confidence, and all those things. And LeBron and even Yao Ming were really up there in what we call our percentages of get, uh, of um, our guesstimation of, of this guy's success mm-hmm. or these players' success. And you don't know, and you always have to be in tune, and you have to be evaluating these guys. And if you remember years back when we're talking about LeBron, we, there was a player from uh, New York, New Jersey, Lenny Cook, who at, at one point had outplayed LeBron, and he was supposed to be the next big guy uh, coming up out of the draft the year before LeBron was drafted. And he didn't pan out. I mean, he, was, he wasn't good enough. He didn't get drafted. Um, it was a bad decision. He played. He ended up becoming better. We followed him, but he ended up getting some injuries. So you really got to stay in tune to a lot of these, uh, a lot of the players. Just because a guy doesn't get drafted does not mean he's not going to become a player. So that's a great – Lenny Cook's a great example in, in exactly what I'm talking about. Ryan, who is the guy that's had the highest numbers on your, your percentages and guesstimation of – future success like over the years can you remember who's been rated the highest just sheer numbers well i mean i gotta go with lebron and 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 at that time he he was really something special and obviously he's still something (laughs) special but when you have a guy with that size ability um really the the mental game the way he saw the game at such an early age and you combine the physical gifts more so with the with the mental gifts that he had um, he he was that high, and Yao was that way too. And I mention Yao because we we got to see him against an in, in international competition. Yes, the guy's seven five and he's breathing. Yes, he's a prospect. But when you got guys that have performed at a high level, and you see some of the things from facing the basket, some some of the uh, the, the footwork, the lateral footwork, the passing. Uh, the ability to score block shots, all that. We felt, even though those two are coming from two different parts of the world, from high school to the pros, to from China to the NBA, there is that risk factor. And even if you have a, a, a college senior coming to the pros, you still have that factor of how is that guy going to adapt to the professional league? How is he going to adapt to the NBA? Is he going to lose his confidence? And that's a big key. You know, when we see Shaq still can't hit those free throws, um, you know, you have someone that just says, okay, these guys are really quicker. Is he going to be able to say, okay, I am going to work hard. I am going to be able to make those plays. I am going to be able to do those things. Um, if if he doesn't, you know, he he loses it. And and that's why we can't look into a guy's heart, and it's it's hard. So you have to put in these ratios. Well, it was, Ryan, that begs the question, who over the last, let's say, let's keep it recent and say over the last 10 years was somebody that you guys had rated extremely high and and, and, and did not pan out? For, oh, the, over, you're talking career. about the last few years. Yeah, like the last 10 years. You know, a, a prospect that, you know, everyone was, the, the scouts, GMs, everybody was – just um, gushing over, and then they didn't pan out. Somebody that really oh, surprised you, that well, did not. Uh, uh, we have to talk to our, uh, Darko. I mean, we got to look yeah. at Darko right yeah. now, who did not pan out, was Darko. And and I think there was everybody in their minds that said, this guy's going to be that guy. Wh- why? I mean, the- he still has the, the physical tools. He still has it. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, he has he had everything that you would want at such a young age, and I think he came out when he was 19 or maybe 18, uh, and just having that ability to score, rebound, block shots, anticipation from weak side to strong side, one-on-one skills, all those things. Okay. And even though we went uh, in front of uh, Carmelo, when he went there, I said, yeah, I, I really think, even though he's playing under Larry Brown, that he would be you know, rookie of the year. Wow. I was wrong. Yeah. He, no, I mean, he didn't just go ahead of Carmelo. He went ahead of Dwayne Wade. Chris Bosh. I mean, mm-hmm. that, the Darko yeah. Gold Rush to me was one of the more phenomenal. Ryan, you thought he was going to be the rookie. I'm sorry, <laughs> I, that just that that went by me for a second. You thought he was going to be the well, rookie of the year. Yeah, and I said it. You know, I mean, we're not perfect, and and it's it's easy to say that hindsight, but but when you saw the guy, when you know, when I'd go over to Serbia uh, in international competitions, he was really that good. Wow, he was really that good. And, you know, and, and, of course, it was a reach saying that because, you know, Larry doesn't like to play a lot of the rookies and, you know, he makes them earn it and all that. But, you know, still, this kid was really, really that good. And 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 to see him just lose the confidence and stuff. And you know what? He is 
struggled obviously back and forth through all the different teams. He wants to go back to Europe. He's given that second chance. It's such a mental grind. You, as an athlete, it's such a mental grind to go up and down and through these roller coasters. And and sometimes, you know, you know you're done with it, okay? You're done with it. You don't want to fight it. But for some reason, he's just getting those sparks, and I think I think he's going to stick it out. But yeah. I, I mean, again, we don't know. It's it's a mental game. Seventy five percent of this game is mental. You know, you know, Ryan, for a good let's say seven to eight year period be, between maybe the in the late nineties and then the first half of this uh, new millennium, um, there were so many high school players drafted and. Um, foreign-born players drafted that sometimes, especially for just the regular fan, they more than almost half of the um, first round would be players that they just weren't familiar with. And it, obviously now because of the age requirement, and it, I, I don't know, you, correct me if I'm wrong, there seems to be a, a little less emphasis on the, the foreign-born players. Um, there, there are more college players drafted in, in, in the NBA draft. Has that been something that you guys – Scouts have de-emph- have you de-emphasized how much you scout high school players? Have you de-emphasized how much you scout foreign-born players? Uh, we have not de-emphasized the foreign or the international players. Uh, you still got to go get. You still got to look after those guys, and that that's been a big emphasis on me and what I've done. Uh, high school, there are requirements that we we have not been allowed to go out and you know see the juniors and stuff. Only see them in uh, high school all-star settings and stuff like that. Um, but international, it's just, uh, I get a lot of questions. Is it just a trend? Is the international players, are they done? No, I just think it's like, you know, we got a big power forward draft this year. We don't have a great point guard draft. It's just the way that it's happening. And you still got to cover your bases. You still have to do your homework. And when we had that under 19, or excuse me, when we could draft high school players, uh, that was a big problem because, first off, you had to travel not only every flip in high school, you had to go to internet, you had to go to countries all over the place in China and everything. And you know, you're spending a lot of money. Uh, you're trying to find if these guys can play. Sometimes you go and these guys wouldn't show up. So what happens now is when you have a high school kid that was playing on a team with maybe a Division One prospect playing alongside him, playing against a Division One prospect, the guy's going to look good. So what happens now is now he gets a year in college and uh, or more, really. He, he comes in and he's playing with and against better competition. You get the, the NBA scouts who get to evaluate these guys, uh, and you're bringing a better product in the, in, into the NBA if they're available. Now, we've gone through, and there was probably about 14 guys now that will still be in, the, in college – that were projected to be one-and-done guys. And just think if we had brought those guys in, they would have developed or not developed in three years, and their contract would have been gone. So for us, I, for my opinion, it's a great rule. Ryan, I, I want to ask you real quick about, for years we've heard people talk about drafting based on need as opposed to best, you know, the, the, the best player available, or vice versa. And then I look at the, the consensus mock draft on NBA.com, and we got Ed Davis getting drafted by the Clippers, who already have a, you know, a guy who plays his position, obviously, in Blake Griffin. What's that? That's, what's that, eight, nine? Yeah, that's eight. I mean, okay. do, as a scout, in your mind, do you believe in that old axiom of you draft the best player available no matter what, or are you going into it every year if you, you know, thinking, okay, if I'm this team, I'm drafting this player because I need – a guy who does what he does, or do you say, I don't care who is there, I'm taking whoever's the best guy left on the board? Dr. Smith, you got your big board up there, okay? <laughs> you got your at the eighth pick, and at number one, you got John Wall, number two, Evan Turner, number three, Greg Monroe. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Yeah. I mean, what do you do? I mean, you've got to be prepared for everything, you know, and, and you have to go through all these scenarios and these Murphy's Laws, and, and when you do pick – there's got to be so many in- variables that you have to go through with your organization that says, okay, listen, if this happens, then we got to pick this guy. And if so-and-so gets picked, our coveted player is not going to be there, then we go for the best player available. So there's so many different variables. There's so many pieces of the puzzle that can happen. And 
there, and you got to consider trades. You got to consider free agency, um, and you got to consider those. So it's it's not just best player available. It's not just needs. Uh, it's just what your team and what you, all your staff decide that it's going to be. And that's kind of difficult to say because I know you, you want to want that one answer. Uh, for us, you know, for me my, personally, I will pick basically three mock drafts, and I'll I'll, I'll set them down. And my main mock draft is best player available. And then after three years, I'll evaluate that to see where they are, you know. And, um, you know, Darko hurt me a little bit, okay? <laughs> Who's the sleeper, Ryan? Who's the sleeper, huh? of, the, who's the sleeper of this draft for, for you personally? You know, and, and this is going to be – now, listen, we had what? Dewan Blair, uh, Chase Buttinger, Sam Young went second round last year, right? Uh, who was our surprise first round uh, last year? Oh, shoot, I can't remember. Um, there were a bunch. I thought, yeah, the, I thought but, there were quite uh, a there few. There was a bunch, but, yeah. I mean, we got well, like – Darren Mikhail Collison Cor- was, a, was a big surprise. What's that? Darren Collison was a big surprise. Did, was it? I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it was a big surprise. For okay. us, it wasn't really a big surprise. Really? Okay. You know, and, yeah. and again, I mean, in, in last year, last year was a pretty deep draft. And this year we got a, a a really deep draft, and we don't have that many spots available. A kid I like is uh, Mikael Torrance, uh, a point guard, six five out of uh, Alabama. Mm-hmm. He played in Portsmouth, was invited to our combine. I really like the guy. He's big. He's he's determined. He's he's feisty. He plays the pick and roll really well. He's an improved shooter. Uh, I love Jerome Randall. He's got one of the biggest hearts alongside of uh, Grievous Vasquez. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big Vasquez fan. I love the kid. So I don't I like know Vasquez. if he can play. Uh, I hope he succeeds because, you know, you, you, he makes everybody better. Um, and we haven't talked a whole lot about, like, Deion Thompson and some mm-hmm. of those guys. Um, we're going to have probably a few guys in the, in the second round that are, going of course, going to be international guys. Uh, but we're going to look at like well, Solomon Alabi from Florida State. Is he going to go second round, a seven footer, right? Uh, seven one guy. Uh, we're going to have guys like is Ed Davis is is he going to is he going to drop? Uh, is Stanley Robinson or Quincy Bonde- Pondexter going to going to drop too? Some of these seniors. What about Willie Warren, a six four, a combo guard from Oklahoma? Uh, Jerome Jordan, another seven one guy from Tulsa who's got upside, and right. Tiny Gallon. Who uh, at six ten? Who I'm kind of really impressed with the guy. I, I, he needed to stay in a year, but you know he left. Uh, some of these guys can really uh, make an impact or have a chance to really make a team, whether they're drafted in the first round or the second round. Again, when you're drafting the second round, the percentages drop so much because you're going to be fighting against other other free agents, teams that might have a player that's under contract overseas, uh, other draftable players. So you definitely want that in the first round, but the first round is going to be—it's going to be crazy. That's why I lo- I'm loving this. This is the Super Bowl right here. <laughs> now, listen, I don't know that anybody probably loves the draft more than you <laughs> and your dad. That's but, a good thing, though. Yeah, but when you when you started doing this, did you envision the NBA draft becoming the cottage industry it has for all these other people? Yeah, could you repeat that again? Yeah, did, I mean, did you did you think there would be these draft gurus created out of nowhere when this started? You know, I mean, there was a guy, and I can't remember the guy's name. I mean, even when I was young, and and the, and the guy was the, the the other draft guy. You know, it was always <laughs> Pops. You know, Pops was the right. guy that everybody went to, but that was his job. So you know, we weren't seeking out attention or media or whatever. Right. But listen, I mean, there's so many dudes out there that just love the draft. I mean, I got my buds are like, you know, they're they're hovering over. What's going on? And you know, I mean, it's basketball and and. You know, I think it's the same way with was it Kuiper with 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 NFL. I mean, there's there's people out there that just love that, and and if you love basketball, whether it's college or the NBA, um, you know, it's a medium. And technology obviously has got in there. Uh, I mean, I, I when I was doing the uh, the D League uh, show last year, mm-hmm. we had to figure out what Twitter was. This was a year and a half ago. Right. I didn't know what Twitter was, so I had to I did my little homework, signed up on it. And then within minutes, I had like you know 500 people that wanted to be my Twitter guy or whatever. I haven't Twittered yet, so I, you know. <laughs> oh, I mean, Ryan, you got to get on and Twitter. I love it too. So I mean, you got to get on Twitter, Ryan. Come on, man. Uh, 
Get, get with the times, buddy. Come on, man. I know. I, I, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, listen, we know you're super busy at this time of year, and we appreciate you joining us. Great information. Um, and we're going to get your Twitter address out there. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put it out there underground and see if we can't stir it up. So you better get busy, man. All right. Well, when, when, my, when my TV show gets picked up, I'll do it. But, hey, see, I love your stuff. I read it all the time uh, in the journal. And uh, y'all guys are great, and I appreciate you. All right. Thank, thank you, Ryan. Ryan. Thank you. Ryan Blake, director of scouting for the NBA. Vince, you you seem to take a, a little umbrage with that Darko. Uh, it took, it took Wait, you a minute. It? Took you a few oh, minutes. Oh yeah, it went over it my head. In. Like you, right. like you, like you watching Johnny Carson, and you woke up and heard the joke or something. Like you, you know what it was? You know, I, I I could feel and relate to scouts and GMs and journalists and fans and everybody thinking that Darko might have been a good pick at number two for you know multiple reasons. But you know the the rookie of the year thing. I don't know about that. You know, so it was, it it was, that was, that means that Ryan really, really, really thought that this guy, that this young man was going to be a great player. So it's really eye opening that, that he, he turned out, he didn't pan out. He wasn't alone. Sporting, the sporting news had a cover story that same year Mm -hmm. listing all the reasons why the hometown Cleveland Cavaliers should not draft LeBron James. (laughs) It should take Darko. I'm serious. Wow. Cats, I didn't catch that one. Cats were drinking the Darko Kool-Aid. If I can chime in here for a second as a Hawks fan, <laughs> when we took Uh-oh. Marvin, every single team in the NBA, if they had picked second, would have taken Marvin. I don't Except maybe one or two teams who might have had like Jason Kidd or somebody. So hindsight, everything is easy. Yeah, I mean, see, I was one of the, I was one of the guys, Micah, who I th- – I didn't. I didn't disagree with the Darko pick, but I thought what? picking. My, I, I didn't. I, I, saw, I saw where Joe was going with that because I drank the Kool Aid. Everybody was telling me he was great. He's a seven footer. They told me about all these skills he had, and I, I saw where he was. Uh, where he was fitting a knee with, the, with Detroit. But nobody no, had ever no. seen him. I drank the Kool Aid. Yeah. Admittedly, I'm, yeah. I, but Marvin, I, we we all saw Lots Marvin. We all saw him not be able to break into the to the um, starting lineup at North Carolina, and we all saw Chris Paul. We all saw Darren Williams. We all knew that Atlanta needed a point guard. If you're getting ready to make the case that Marvin Williams is the worst number two pick than Darko, I'm I'm getting ready to run out of the No, not at all. Not not at all. Not at all. What I'm saying is that I could not fathom why Atlanta picked Marvin with all their wings and with their need and with just Marvin versus the others. You know know what? You you raise a good question. Um, And our next guest Shout it's, out to Marvin Williams because he's form, here in Atlanta. He's a former Hawk since you're just trashing the Hawks. He's a one-time Hawk. I'm like, uh, maybe he has some insight. Uh, Tony Delk Tony. Uh, is joining us now on the Hang Time Podcast. Guys? TD, what's up? Not much. What's going on, say? Now, listen, you were around when, when uh, Marvin got drafted, right? Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> were, you, were you as stunned and surprised as Vince is that the Hawks drafted you know Marvin Williams? Really, I was because at the time uh, the need was at, at point guard. Right. You know, and you know, I know, like I said, I know hindsight is twenty twenty. But you know, at that time, we really did need a point guard. And with us having all those wings, I was just shocked that we would go that that route. You know, so you got you got to draft your need more so than anything. Not what everybody else or let's say speculate said. This guy should go with this pick. Draft what you need and go from there. Right. You know, what's crazy though, Tony, is that it's it. it Atlanta could have drafted for need and for best available talent and still drafted those two-point guys over Marvin. And I'm not trying to go in on him real hard. I'm just saying, man. Now, like I said, Mar- Marvin's a great guy. We're good friends. But, you know, um, when you draft, you got to draft a uh, player that definitely can you know, have an impact and come in and help you right away. And I think at, at that time when they drafted, you know, we really needed a point guard to run that team. And a good young guy would have been great, you know, and Chris Hall and Darren. Well, well, T.D., catch everybody up on what you're doing now. I mean, I know a lot of people obviously remember you as, as an NBA player, certainly your, your college career at Kentucky, but what have you been up to the last couple of years now? What, what are you getting into uh, now? Went down. I was coaching a little bit at Puerto Rico the last two years, and then uh, Coach Cal hired me on his staff in Kentucky. So I've been doing um, – I was uh, actually hired as assistant director of basketball operations. So really just coming up the college ranks right now and trying to learn the college game and uh, – you know, just having, helping them with insight as far as like with the players that we have already and some of the players that have left. Well, the the one guy, and I, everybody wants to talk about John Wall, but I've been <laughs> digging in lately and really reading up on DeMarcus Cousins, and I'm trying to right. figure out 
is is this legit? All these all this complaints and and all this griping about him and his personality, his work ethic. I, I, I mean, you've been I around him. What's, so. Yeah, what's I mean, like? I, I was with uh, I was was with Demarcus all year. Great kid. I mean, unbelievable. Probably probably was the funniest guy on the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a great personality, and I think he really got a bad rep from. Uh, what he did in high school, and uh, some sometimes during the year when him and Coach Cal with them, they would be seen arguing. But I think it was just, you know, he's a kid that's inquisitive, and he wants to ask questions. He just won't answer. And a lot of times people don't have answers for him. And I think that's reading him and Coach had a great relationship, was that uh, those guys definitely understood each other. And it takes somebody like a Coach Cal and, um, to coach him. And he's – like I said, behind John, and, and there's been questions like, you know, he's definitely the most talented player out there. And I've seen a lot of good big men, but from a standpoint of having a good all-around game, he is that guy. Yeah, um, Tony, give us the drop on Patrick Patterson. Let, let's say we're, our listeners have never seen, which isn't true, but let's say they've never seen him play or whenever they watched Kentucky, they were so mesmerized in, uh, with John Wall and, and DeMarcus Cousins that they didn't pay much attention to him. What are his strengths and weaknesses, and what do you think he's going to do in the NBA? He reminds me of Millsap at, um, in Utah. You know, he's that hard worker, blue collar uh, guy that comes in. You know, and he'll do whatever it takes to help his team win. And I think that's the most important thing is that you get a guy that's seasoned, smart player, and uh, he understands the game of basketball. And now we, we'd obviously be foolish if we didn't sit here and quiz you a little bit about John Wall. Uh, the guy who everybody <laughs> assumes is going to be the number one pick. I, TD, I'll be honest. As much NBA as we watch, and you know how it is when you when you in immersed in the NBA game, it's not easy to really buckle down and pay attention to the college game the way you need to. Um, and now the draft is upon us, and I'm I'm doing my catch up work on John Wall. And I, I'll be honest with you, I I'm looking at him and going, I don't know. Like I I hear everybody wow. telling me he's the super. Runaway number one pick going to be a, a right. great NBA player, but I'm – and I see all this athleticism and all that, but I'm like mm-hmm. I'm looking for a signature moment or something from him, and I didn't really look see it when I went back well, and I, looked at his season. Well, I, I kind of think, like, with the high expectation that he had coming in is that, you know, from day one, you know, he was already – if he never played college basketball, he's going to be a number one draft pick. So his expectation was a lot higher than anybody else came in. So he had nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we, we forget that, is that a kid that was so talented, so, uh, you know, I say exciting in high school, and everybody loved him, is that where was it, like I said, he had nowhere to go. Everybody else had a chance to improve and get better. Like when the Marcus first came in, whoever would have thought that he would have been, let's say, in, in the talk about being a top five draft pick, nobody would have ever thought that. But he had room for improvement. I don't think John, you know, to his defense, really had any chance to improve on anything. You know, if he – if he was uh, became a better shooter, or if he was a better penetrator, if he was a better defensive player, is that it really didn't matter. Right. So, you know, watching him every day, I know that he's by far the hardest working guy on our team, and he brings it every time he steps on that court. You know, and and with all the expectation that 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 was placed on him, I thought he did a wonderful job of carrying his team and helping guys improve and get better. What's the one thing about his game, TD, that's going to surprise people at the NBA level? Because you know as well as I do. Guys are, are great players in, in their own right and in certain disciplines in college, and it doesn't always translate to the next level. And then there are guys who you get them in the NBA and you realize, man, I didn't know he could shoot like that or I didn't know he had this wrinkle to his game. What's the one part of his game we really haven't seen yet? Well, the one part nobody's seen is, is, is pick and roll, you know, and that's something you don't get a chance to see in college. And that's what I was more amazed with, you know, when putting him through drills and seeing him just uh, work off the pick and roll. And then, of course, his speed is lightning. Uh, you know, once he gets that ball open court, he reminds me of Jason Kidd coming at you full speed, like, and can go either direction. And that's scary for somebody backpedaling, is that, you know, hopefully they don't fall and hurt themselves. But <laughs> with, him coming, <laughs> with him coming at you full speed, something bad's going to happen. Right. What, um, f- f- and first of all, Tony, has he taught you his dance? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I said, that dance was for the youth. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I hope you're not, you know, in front of the mirror practicing that <laughs> no, dance. No, no, no. It, it, it's kind of funny. I was at a special need camp yesterday, and all the special need people knew how to do the John Wall dance. I was like, wow. Get out of here, really. 
Yeah, so you know what? This, this, this dance has become universal. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to the shout out to the John Wall dance, but also shout out to us Gen X folks that don't do that dance. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but now let, let me ask you this though, Tony, because you know, saying that we're not piling on John, but you know he's he's the the consensus number one pick, and we just mm-hmm. we just we want to get the real. One thing that I always sort of question is his court vision, um, right. and just his his feel for. Um, orchestrating an offense, right? Is he going to be a true? Or let forget true point guard. Is he going to be a point guard? Is he going to run you a team's what? offense well in the NBA? I really think all that depends on the coach. And, and let's say if he goes to Washington, um, with Sam Cassell being there, Flip Saunders, who's great with uh, with point guards, is that that'll be the perfect situation or the perfect draft pick for him hmm. if that was to take place. And his core vision definitely has to get has to get a lot better. I think you know, like I said, you've seen him play. You know, he still averages a lot of assists, but at the end of the day, you know, it's kind of like his vision could be a lot better. And I think as he played with guys that run, and you know, you have great wings that you know he can definitely distribute the ball, and he'll find out that it's going to make the game easier for him when he can have guys on the wing that can finish. You know. Well, um, does he remind you at all of your 1996 draft mate, Allen Iverson? In, in his his game, um, I don't. I think I uh, AI was more of a score. You know, he was more of like you know I'm trying to get thirty or forty on you every night. And John, not so much that. I think John is more so about you know he can he's about winning. And not to say AI wasn't, but you know he's more of a he can distribute that ball, but he likes to get in you know, and make guys look good and make you know make the easy play. And I think AI was more about you know trying to get some points and, and score on you and, and embarrass you, so to say. <laughs> AI never embarrassed you, now, did he? I mean, come no, on. No. He, might, he might have crossed me over once. <laughs> <laughs> Just once? <laughs> I, like I, said, I don't never, know. Oh, I, never, I never fell down, and I think I might have blocked this out a couple times. <laughs> and, then, and, and, Tony, and then you came down on the other end and, and lit him up for a tray, oh, right? Yeah, now, let me tell you what, he hit, he hit the guard on the other end, so let, let's not forget that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. TD, at this stage of the game, um, and you've, you've had a chance, obviously, to play at the highest level in college in the NBA, and then now transitioning back to the college game as a coach. All the, all the time you hear people say these things like, well, you know, the NBA is not, you know, they don't work as hard, they don't do this as much, and, you know, and the right. college game is more structured. And they say, what's the, what's the giant difference other than talent level of the entire mass? What's the giant difference in the game, the nuts and bolts of the game between what Cal is doing and then say what, Flip. you know, what, yeah, Saunders, what is Flip gonna Saunders is going to do in Washington? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, you know, and this is where John is really going to do well, is that they allow you to play. You know, where college is more structured and, you know, it's, it, it takes away from your one-on-one game. And that's where he's going to excel at on the next level, is that he's able to uh, break out and get, once he gets out to the open court, he's able to make plays. And, you know, he can be a, a great one-on-one player. And college with zones will limit that. What, what, who, I, I'm, I'm going to ask for you to be biased for a second, Tony. Um, okay. But also be honest, okay? If you if 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 you were to bet all of your belongings on who is going to have the best pro career out of the, out out of the, your guys there at Kentucky and that are eligible for this draft, who do you think is going to be? Because I, I think it's going to be Cousins. Wow, you know um, that's a tough one, you know, because uh, I think what what Demarcus does and um, you know what he can bring to the table is definitely exciting. You know, when he's a big man that can do so many different things. And, you know, I think with with John, you, you know, like I said, I think the sky's the limit for him. But I, I like Eric Bledsoe. Really? Bledsoe? Uh, Bledsoe, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, mean, he, you think Bledsoe's going to have the best career? I wouldn't say that, but I, oh. I think he'll be he'll be one guy to look out for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, I like this game. Of, mm-hmm. Oh, man. I mean, you know, but you're talking about explosive. And that kid, whoever drafts him, I think is going to be a steal. But – I think overall it just depends. On, you know, everybody talk about the Marcus weight, if he can keep it down, and he is that franchise player. And I, I do agree with that. I think if he gets with the right coach, and that's a lot of this whole game about these guys going, is, is can they play right away, of course, but it's like can they play in, in a particular style or for a certain coach. And that's what it all boils down to. And I think the turnaround with coaches every two or three years now. So, you know, you might get a coach that likes your game and shoot next thing you know he gets fired. So yeah. don't get too comfortable with any kind of coach, I would say. Well, yeah, true. I'm, I'm going to tell you this, T.D. Uh, 
you've been up there working at Kentucky, and I you hadn't mentioned one time that you're anybody's sh- shooting coach. And if Cal brought you up there and don't, didn't have you tutoring these guys on shooting the basketball, we need to get Cal on here and, and quiz him a little bit and ask him what he's got going on. <laughs> Word up. Word. Like, you, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, it's funny you said it, but the position that I was hired in and him having three coaches already there was that I couldn't utilize – uh, the, the talent and the skill that I was best at, you know, for our particular program, unless, you know, I'm able to move into one of those assistant coaches and I can get with the guys and definitely work them out. So, you know, and that's what I'm trying to get to right now is a position where I'm able to coach and, and you know, actually go out and recruit and probably like maybe another year away. So I'm going to take it, take this time to, to learn as much as I can from coach as well as some of our assistants. But, uh, you know, my, my skill is definitely helping those guys become better shooters because that's the key to the longevity is that, you know, you can make some shots. No doubt. No doubt. Well, listen, nobody made them like you in, uh, at Kentucky and certainly, you know, the 50-point bomb, in, you know, in the NBA, man. We, we enjoyed having you on. We're going to definitely thank get you, you back you. on here, man. It's okay, good to no hear your doubt. voice. Any time. All right, TD. Appreciate okay. you. All right, Later. Tony. Tony okay. Delk. Coach at the University of Kentucky now, former mm-hmm. NBA player, former national champion of Kentucky. You know what? Hmm. I keep forgetting about this draft, Vince, how many of these Kentucky guys are in here. And I, I'm serious. Either I'm just missing the boat or I didn't watch them hard enough this year or something. But I, I wasn't blown away. And I watched them play, you know, four or five games. I watched them play Mississippi State one night mm-hmm. in Starkville in a game um, that I thought Mississippi State had won at one point in, in Kentucky. Cousins had a big putback late, you know, wall play. But it was a game where I watched and I thought, man, these guys are not head and shoulders above even the Mississippi State players that they were on the floor against. And if you Mm -hmm. read the press clippings and read the magazine stories about this Kentucky team this year, you were led to believe this was the, you know, this generation's Fab Five five or whatever you want to call them. Well, I mean, mean, and and, and you and I both know that, you know, we watched – the Fab Five throughout their freshman year, they had some ups and downs. If you would have caught the Fab, if you would have thought, if you would have um, watched the Fab Five on one of their down games, you you would have been like, man, well, what's the what's the big deal about these guys? But I think that Kentucky showed showed you a lot, and I think their individual players showed you a lot. Do I think that they're going to tear the league up individually? <sighs> I don't. I know. I don't. I don't, I don't yeah, know. I don't, you know. Maybe I mean, we, maybe we'd be. I mean, this is probably not going to do wonders for us uh, with the with the Wildcat Nation. But I, I'm. I need to see more before I, I'm see, convinced of these cats. With with both with both of the. Well, excuse me. With both of them. With all of them. There, and I guess that's true with every prospect. There are going to be strengths and weaknesses. But when viewed in the context of all the hoopla, right? Then you know it, it makes you that much more sort of. Um, it, it makes you look at them with that much more of a critical eye, not to criticize them, but sure. you know, cr- to critique their games. And there's just stuff about John Wall's game that I'm just not wholly impressed with. And no, I mean, I'm, there's things about Demarcus Cousins that you know ma- makes you makes you wonder. And listen, you know? I'm not saying that I'm not impressed with Wall. I'm just saying oh, when I watch Wall, yeah. I don't see Derrick Rose and these other I guys who have come I in the not. preceding years. And, I may, and maybe we could be wrong. I don't. I don't know, know about you though. Say I know that for for me. I've been wrong about so many prospects over the last three, four years that uh, at this point I'm not I, like I. It's it. I'm reticent to just like, stamp you, somebody yeah, like have. oh this dude is a, these these right. are can't miss or like no I don't like this dude because right. I've said that especially the 2009 draft. I mean I was wrong about almost everybody. Well, I you wasn't. know. Oh, you weren't. I've I've not been that wrong. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I don't know who he's talking about, folks. I, I don't know about I don't know about that. I'm one. never wrong. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Listen, we have to thank our guest today. That's some Ryan good guys. Blake, the yeah. director of scouting for the NBA. Mm-hmm. Tony Delk, mm-hmm. you know, assistant coach, Kentucky, former NBA player, big time. I Hold and listen. We've been we've been taking the podcast in different directions, and I'm telling you, I, I appreciate the diversity of opinions and everything else we yeah. get on the show because. it's we just talked to the guy who's the the son of the longtime director of scouting for the NBA, and now the director of scouting. So that mm-hmm. yeah, that's a lot of knowledge there. And then we talked to a guy who played in the league, you know, mm-hmm. for all the years Tony Delk did, and now is back in the college game with the most high profile program, you know, in yeah. the country. I mean, n- no offense to Duke, but Kentucky was the story of college basketball mm-hmm. year long, and are going to mm-hmm. be the story 
Thursday night in the draft. So we got a yeah. big shout to Micah Hart, our super producer, for absolutely for beating you know beating it and, up and, and uh, getting um, every, everything uh, lined up for the show here. And, and you know, on on a quick side note, shout out to my um, high school. Oh, anyway, Cityana's number t- Newsweek anyway. picked us as the number ten public high nice. school in the country. So shout out to CHS and all the alums. Give me the give me them beats, Scholar time, baby. The Hang time podcast. You're doing the thing. We appreciate you joining us. As always, that you can prep follow this. That prep school Buffalo. you went to. Where, how, where Get out of here, man. Let's go. <laughs> Hang time podcast. Appreciate you joining yeah. us. Back next week. Wrapping up the draft and talking a little bit about, uh, you know, free agency is coming up. Absolutely. Don't forget about that. Hit us up Next at Hate Time. Time Podcast. Let us know what the deal is. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off. And everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.